Today's scripture reading is Ruth 3, and you can find it on page 6 of your bulletin or in your Bible. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor, threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for, you, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman pulled it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is living It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It exposes our need. And then it shows us Jesus. So in this story of Ruth, Lord, show us Jesus. As we see faithfulness, as we see faithlessness, as we are confronted with our own sin, Lord, show us that we have a Redeemer who is near, and his name is Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you're a visitor with us this morning, I welcome you. Uh, We've been going through the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a very short little narrative. It's a beautiful book, though, as we've been studying it about uh, this woman named Ruth, our mother-in-law named Naomi, 
and this man named Boaz. Uh, the story has started off very, uh, very tragically. Uh, Naomi has left with her husband, left uh, the land of, Can- of um, Canaan, the promised land, and they've gone to this other land called Moab, and in that land she experienced profound sadness. She loses her husband and she loses her sons. But she does gain a daughter-in-law, and we've seen Ruth be this really amazing young woman, this beautiful figure in this book of loyalty and faithfulness. And so now we come to a kind of a confusing part of the book. Uh, This week and next week can be very distracting and confusing because of everything that's happening in the story. But I don't want you to get too uh, distracted. We are going to be looking at the details. The saying is, right, the devil's in the details. But in this story, the divine is in the details, as we're going to see. We're going to break this story up that Miranda just read into three different scenes. I think that's the best way for us to look at it. The first scene is going to be the plan. The second scene is going to take place at the threshing floor. And the name of the third scene is going to be the waiting. This whole chapter happens pretty fast. It happens in around 12 hours of time. So it's a fast-moving passage. And what we're going to see in this passage is the two great themes that we've been looking at in the book of Ruth. The first is that God is at work in everything. Even this tiny little story of this tiny little family God is working, which is a great reminder to us that even in our stories, no matter how insignificant we might be, God is still working in us. And the second is that grace is for the outsider, and it brings the outsider in. And we're going to see this especially today when we talk about the Redeemer. So scene one the plan. If you remember last week, we met Boaz. Boaz was this older gentleman. He was uh, a worthy man, they said, which meant that he uh, had money and he had property and he was well regarded by the community. And we saw last week that he was very gracious to Ruth and by extension to Naomi. And because of his gracefulness to them, his graciousness to them, the tune of grace starts to hum soft and low in a very complex character in this book. Last week, she starts to hear the tune of grace, and it starts to soften her heart. You know, that is the sign of grace. When you've experienced grace, you start to have a soft heart toward others. And here, at the very beginning of this passage, Naomi says this, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Which basically is that she's moved towards Ruth. Her heart has been softened and she sees Ruth and she sees that Ruth has a need. Her need is for a future. And so, Naomi comes up with a plan. Now, admittedly, This plan is a little bit of a risky plan. This is risky business that she endeavors to put before Ruth. And we're going to see how risky this plan is. But I don't want you to miss this. This plan is motivated by love. This plan is motivated by grace. Back in chapter 1, Naomi decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She's going to go back to Canaan. Even though she's left, she, she sees that 
That was the wrong move, and she's going to go back. And, and Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. And she goes, no, you go back to Moab, find yourself a nice Moabite man, settle down, and have a family. And Ruth says, no, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to be loyal to you. Here, you see Naomi's heart moved that she realizes Ruth needs a future. And so she comes up with this plan for Ruth to find a husband and to have children, which is a huge thing in that culture. To have children means that you have a hope. It means that now you have someone to take care of you in your old age to provide for you. It also was a sign of a blessing from God when you had children. And that would bring her rest and peace. Naomi wants more for Ruth. She wants more than anything for Ruth to have a future. Maybe this comes because Naomi sees that she doesn't have a future. She has no husband and her sons are dead. And so her heart now is moved by grace to think of others, to think upon Ruth. For Naomi, she had been watching this young widow work tirelessly at the barley and the wheat harvest to provide for her, and now she is moved by grace. Now, like I said, this plan is not perfect, because even though we are saved by grace, we are not perfect. And so we're going to see in this plan that it is a little bit risky, what exactly is this plan? Well, on the surface, it's very suspicious. It has an element of risk to it. It's even kind of manipulative. The scholars that I read who uh, comment on this passage say that Naomi was indeed, this, this plan on the, on the surface can seem very racy. It can seem very seductive. It can seem very risque. But I'm not going to talk about those details, per se. We have little ears in the congregation. But also, I don't know if it's really all that helped a uh, century Jew. For somebody who would originally hear this story, their ears would perk up because of some of the terms that were used. They would think, whoa, whoa, this story has turned into a Nora Roberts kind of story. I think that's the lady who writes those novels that you find at the checkout counter on the way out. Anyway. This story has kind of got a element of racy and risqueness about it. But the truth is that even in the scandalous nature of this story, we see that God is still at work carrying out his plan to redeem the outsider and bring them to himself. Because I believe that the Bible is a lot deeper than a Nora Roberts novel. It's far more nuanced and complicated and beautiful because people are far more nuanced and complicated and beautiful. When we read this passage, then we need to do some background work. And this is why it's good for us to study the Bible in community. It's good for us to study the Bible with people that have studied the Bible so we can understand some of the customs and the culture that's happening in this passage. It's good for us to ask questions and to be curious about this passage because in it, in the details, we see the divine. Naomi's plan is for Ruth to get all gussied up, right? Put on some new clothes, take a bath, smell nice, and then go on down to that threshing floor and find Boaz. See, the practice of the day was this. 
Usually after the harvest, there would be a big party and they would take all of the grain and they would put it on this threshing floor and they would stamp it all out. And the threshing floor was usually in a place where there was a lot of wind. And that's why it says here that she goes down to the threshing floor from Bethlehem because she's going down into this valley where there's this wind that comes through and they would take the grain, they would throw it up in the air and the wind would catch all of the chaff and blow it away and the grain would fall to the ground. And it would be really labor intensive, as you can imagine. And so they would do this big harvest, and then they would do this big threshing, and then they would have a big party after. And in this party, they would eat, and they would drink, and they would give thanks to what God has done, and then they would fall asleep. And that is exactly what happens in this story. And a lot of times, the men would sleep near the grain so that it wasn't stolen. Now, on the surface, Naomi telling Ruth to have a bath and to, to get dressed up and, and, to spell, and to smell nice might seem seductive or maybe even just superficial. But one scholar says this, and I, I really appreciate this insight. Ruth was a widow. She had been in mourning. That means that she would have worn certain clothing, tattered clothing. She would have let herself go. She wouldn't fix her hair. She wouldn't necessarily take baths because she was sad. And what Naomi is doing here, perhaps, is saying, Ruth, the time of mourning is over. There's a new day. Get gussied up, girl. Fix your hair. Put some makeup on. Smell good. And go out there and say, I'm available. I'm looking for a husband. What this does is it shows the heart of Naomi towards Ruth. That now grace has moved her, that she sees Ruth and she says, Ruth, there's better for you. There's a future for you. She gives her some strategies here. And as he lays down, watch where he sleeps. And then you're going to uncover his feet. And this is somewhat of an ambiguous term here. But more than likely what it means is that she would uncover him so that he would get chilly, get cold, and he would wake up. And then she says this, whatever he says, do it. That is a risky statement. Mothers, that is not good dating advice to give to your daughters. But as you're going to see, there's something beautiful about what Ruth does. Ruth says, all that you say, I'll do it. And off she goes. Don't you just love Ruth? I resonate Deeply with Naomi. I am bitter. I can be very self-centered. I can be very lazy. But boy, I love Ruth. This girl has got moxie. This girl is faithful. She is a juxtaposition of Naomi in her bitterness and sadness and even her indifference at times. Ruth is this loyal, faithful go-getter. And you know, for an original hearer of this book, and to you and to me, what they would see is an outsider being faithful. Because that's what grace does. That Ruth responds to Naomi's best intentions, even though this plan is extremely risky. Because she wants to honor her mother-in-law. Life is not simple. And it's not easy, and it's messy, 
And especially if you want to live under God's grace, I feel like, maybe you do too, that life gets messier. In this first scene, we see the power of grace in a person's life, turning them from bitterness and self-centeredness to thinking about others. And yet, she gives very arguably risky advice. You know, Naomi is just like us. We are saints, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are still sinners. That's Naomi. That's you and me. We rest in the work of what Jesus Christ has done. And yet we still fall short in our day to day. And therefore we rely on Jesus Christ to help us day by day. Sinners that saint, that sinners that are still saints, saints that still sin. As this scene closes, we see that God is in the business of redeeming even risky plans. So off Ruth goes to the threshing floor. End scene, if you will. As the lights come out or come up in the house, the scene set before us is this threshing floor. And it's midnight. Grain is everywhere. People are sleeping everywhere. The party has been this great success. People have eaten. They have drank their fill. I think it is very, uh, it would be very presumptuous to say that he was drunk, even though in the translation we have it says, and he drunk. It doesn't mean that he was drunk. It means that he was satisfied. And he slept. He slept behind this big pile of grain. Now, it's really important for us to understand the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a place of immorality. In Hosea 9, verse 1, the threshing floor is where the prostitutes would hang out. They would hang out there and look for clients, men who had worked really hard and maybe they had a little bit of money, and they would prey on them. In this situation, the threshing floor was used for the rightful use. And here, Boaz and his workers were sleeping, protecting the grain. And sleeping on a pl- in a place where usually prostitutes would hang out. And then all of a sudden, Ruth shows up. Do you see the risk here? But there's another layer of risk. Naomi, or Ruth is a Moabite. We've been saying this from the beginning. Who is Moab? Moab is the child of a father and his daughter. Lot and Lot's daughter had a son, and his name is Moab. The tribe was tarred with that reputation. In fact, the Moabite women were known to be very promiscuous and seductive. In Numbers 25, another book in the Bible, it talks about how they, the Moabite women seduce and lure the Israelite men away into idolatry and into promiscuity, and they lead them away from their families and from God. Okay, so do you see the picture? This girl has moved into this threshing floor, has snuck up on this man, and she's going to lay beside him in a place where prostitutes hang out, where she is labeled as somebody who is a promiscuous, seductive person. 
This is risky business. Ruth has a label, she has a tribe, and she has a past. The risk of her going to this threshing floor and uncovering this man's feet would lead to death if she would. As we read these narratives, it's good for us to be curious. Why would she do this? It's because she has a deep love for Naomi. She is faithful to Naomi. And she weighs out the risk and she says, it's worth it. She uncovers Boaz's feet and she lays down. Boaz wakes up at midnight. Midnight is important. Throughout the Bible, whenever midnight is mentioned, it's usually a turning point in the story. I'll give you one example. At midnight, the angel of death came to to Egypt and killed the firstborn. Midnight is important because every word is significant, as my friend Dustin says. Boaz wakes up with blurry eyes and he looks at this this huddled mass beside him and he says, who are you? And Ruth says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Now, this is all she was supposed to say. Do you remember what Naomi said? She said, go, uncover his feet, lay down next to him. When he wakes up, do whatever he says. But here, Ruth departs from the script. Here is when things get interesting. What strikes me about is she understands Jewish law and Jewish customs and Jewish culture. The way she talks next reveals that she has been a student of her surroundings. She has been studying the culture that she lives in. I want us to stop there because maybe we can take a page out of Ruth's playbook. Perhaps you and I can take a page out of this studying one's culture. I think it's all too easy for us as Christians to judge one's culture. That's what we believe we should be doing, right? Passing judgment on this sin and that sin and all this thing that we see that are wrong in the world. But what if we did what Ruth does? And instead of looking at the culture and judging it, we look at the culture and we are curious of it. And we start to ask questions in order to see what God is doing. What if we took the posture not of judging those around us, but actually trying to listen to their hopes and their fears, what they value, where they spend their time and their money? It was fascinating yesterday. I got to run the bouncy house at the Fall Fest. Dave and I were running the bouncy houses down there. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of kids in Belfont. Every single one of those kids, every single one of them that came through that line wanted to talk to me, wanted to tell me something, wanted to tell me just random things about when their birthday was or what they were doing or what they ate yesterday or how they love roller skates. But as you watch them and listen to them, you realize they value connection. They want community. But my friends, we are not going to understand our culture if we just stay in our little echo chambers of Christianity. We need to be students of those around us. This is exactly what Ruth does. Like Ruth, 
do we know our culture? Do we look for ways to see where grace is working and the evidence and places where grace is not existent? And then, are we bold to move toward our culture with the good news of Jesus instead of judgment? Let's get back to the scene. What does she say here? She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Then she says this, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Ruth knew the culture and the customs and the religion that she lived in, and then she takes the big risk, right? Not only is she showing up to a threshing floor in the middle of the night as a Moabite woman who has an ethnic reputation, but then she says to Boaz, hey, marry me. Spreading your cloak over a woman means like an engagement ring. And Ruth takes the risk of appealing to him as a redeemer, She says, marry me and redeem Naomi. This is the risk. This is the power of the redeemer. You know, in one sense, Boaz is certainly the redeemer. We're going to see that next week. But in another sense, Ruth is the redeemer. Ruth is looking not to her own interests, but also to the interest of Naomi And then she does all of the things that are the most risky things, going down to this threshing floor, going to this man, uncovering his feet, and then saying, marry me and redeem Naomi. Boaz's response is that she has found a redeemer, but it might not be him. He goes on and and gives her a blessing and says that she is a faithful and uh, blessed woman, He says that Ruth's gesture is kinder than her first gesture. Her first gesture, you might be wondering what that is. It's her loyalty to uh, Naomi, her commitment to this Jewish bitter woman. Her second gesture is her kindness of looking upon an older man and asking him to marry her. I'm sure this made Ruth's heart warm up when he says, your reputation is not one of a Moabite. Your reputation is one of a worthy woman. What made her worthy? What made her worthy was her loyalty and her hard work. This is another lesson that we can take from Ruth. What is our reputation in this community? What is your reputation at your workplace? Are you known for your loyalty and your hard work? Boaz promises her, that he will, be, he will be her redeemer if this other redeemer does not step up. The bottom line is, she is going to be redeemed. Before we move to the last scene, here's my question for you. What are you willing to risk and for what? If Naomi hadn't come up with this crazy plan and if Ruth wasn't willing to risk it all, then they would still be sitting in their clothes of mourning in their house of grief. What about you? Where is God telling you? Do we even pray like that? God, show me. Where do I need to move? What do I need to risk? Maybe you have had this friendship with a friend for years, but you've never actually listened to their hopes and fears. You've never actually studied them in order to give them Jesus. Perhaps God is calling you into a deeper relationship with him, but that means you've got to let go of some idols. What do you need to risk 
in order to get the reward that God has for you. Thankfully, Ruth was willing to give up everything and to risk everything. And because of her faith and her confidence and her boldness, Ruth is rewarded. She's rewarded with a redeemer, but then she's rewarded with this, this, this very strange thing that happens. This is, I think this is probably one of the funniest things I've read in a long time in the Bible. It says this, Boaz gives her six measures of grain. When she leaves, he gives her six measures of grain. I've always thought six measures of grain are like six cups of grain. For some reason, I always thought that's what it was. So it was like, I don't know, like a sandwich. Empty-handed, hey, thanks, right? Like full of grain, you know, you know. You know, he doesn't want to send her home empty-handed. Hey, thanks for showing up. Thanks for marry, you know, asking me to marry you. Here's some grain. Here's a little bag of grain. Six measures of grain is 80 pounds. Misogynistic. That's what people say. Some people say that. Very misogynistic. And I'm like, well, I don't know. But then when you kind of read that, you're like, well, it's certainly not thoughtful, right? Like he is not very thoughtful to give her this huge bag of grain. And it says in the Bible, and he puts it on her, right? So he's like, hey, listen. I think this is going to work out. You're going to be redeemed. Maybe we're going to end up getting married. Now here's 80 pounds of grain. Why, does this, why is that in there? It's not in there because he's a misogynist. It's in there to show you that grace overwhelms you. That's what grace does. It doesn't meet your needs. It overwhelms your needs. And when she goes back, we're going to see that overwhelming nature of grace. But there's one thing that's very important here is the number six. It means nothing to us. But to a first century Jew, to somebody who was reading this for the first time, they would say, whoa, that matters because six is an incomplete number, which means this story is not complete. There's something not finished in this story. Will Boaz be the redeemer? Will the deal be sealed? Will Ruth find the rest that Naomi wants for her? Maybe you are living in the land of six. And you wonder, what is God doing? Is God enough? And then you have to wait. And that's the last scene, is the wait. In the morning, Ruth stumbles home with this 80 pounds of grain. She is hopeful, she is happy, and she's met eagerly by Naomi. Naomi says, child, where are you? That's literally the translation. Where are you? Or who are you? What's happened? Are you going to get married? Or were you rejected? She is asking um, Ruth these questions, and Ruth says with a smile everything that happens to her and how Boaz has received her. And then she says this, he's given me 80 pounds of grain because he says you can't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. I think this is one of the most beautiful little lines in this passage. Because if you remember, when when Naomi came back into Bethlehem, she said, call me Mara, call me bitter, because I left here full and I've come back empty. And now, Boaz is saying, no, 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 you tell your mother-in-law that she will be full again. Naomi speaks words of life to Ruth and she says, now wait for this man, because he will not rest until the matter is settled today. Today, something is going to happen 
It's a new day. Today is the day of the Redeemer, Naomi says. And this scene ends. There's these progressions in these kind of stories. Do you see the progression in this story? It starts in the evening. We travel all the way through the night. Nights are always uncertain, aren't they? Nights are dark. Nights can be dangerous. And then it ends in the morning. A new day. The progression in this passage is darkness to light. The progression in this passage is unredeemed to redeemed. Do you notice the word that's said in the first verse and the last verse? Rest. This passage starts with Naomi looking for rest for Ruth. And it ends with Boaz not resting until there is redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed Redemption stories are not lost on us as a culture. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian here this morning, you know redemption stories. Stories where people have done something horribly wrong and then they totally redeem themselves by fixing it and doing something right. But in the Bible, and for Christians, being redeemed means to be bought back. It means means to be purchased. To be redeemed means that you owe something deep, deep pit. No matter how hard or how much you try, you cannot crawl out. For a Christian, we believe that that debt is sin. It's disobedience. It's immorality. It's rebellion against God. And it is all added up to a debt that you can never pay. And our guilt and our shame weighs us down. So much so that we can't do enough to get out of the pit we are in. We need a redeemer. And the good news of Jesus says that your debt is paid. The good news of Jesus is that your shame and your guilt has been taken care of by him. You see, my friends, in this story, some of us might be thinking, mm-hmm, I am just like Ruth. That is me. I would totally do that. Or others would be like, yep, Boaz. That probably sums me up. No, no, no. We are not Ruth. We are not Boaz. We are not the worthy one like Ruth is. We are not and sad. We are the ones who are coming up with plans that are risky. We are the ones that need a redeemer to come to us. Do you see? Ruth goes to a redeemer. We can't get to our redeemer. We need one to come to us. For the redeemer, Jesus, did not wait for us to come to him because he came to us first. Listen to this from Titus 3 as we close. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing the days with malice and evil, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My friends, in this story, the Redeemer, Jesus, comes to us. He is the one we need. 
Because no one would look at us because of our worth. And God does not move towards you because of your worth. Because of what you have done. Christ is our great redeemer. He's the one who risked everything. He's the one with the risky plan to come to save us. He is the one who covered us up with his righteousness. He is the one who overloads us with grace upon grace. Christ is the Redeemer who did not rest until he brought all of his children into his rest. And Christ's redemption, his paying off of our debt and our at the table. So let's go there now. Let's pray. Father God, Redeemer God, the one who is indeed our refuge and our high tower, the one who didn't wait for us to come to you with all of our plans of what we were going to do to get you to love us, but you're the one who came to us first when we were dead in our sins, hopeless, helpless, harassed, and you came to us. So Lord, as we come to the table now, remind us of your great love for us. Fill our hearts full of that love. Lord, Let us become like Ruth in that we study our culture. We see our neighbors and our friends and we look for ways to tell them about the good news that there is a redeemer and his name is Jesus. So Lord, at this table, feed our faith in you. Amen.